Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories, learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sunny, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, an unmistakable thank you to you. <laughs> well, so, you know, I came across you by way uh, of a few different things. First, I saw this TED Talk that you did on doodling. And so naturally, I was very curious because, I mean, you've seen all the artwork on our site. So somehow that yes. led me to you. And I thought, okay, this would make for a fascinating interview. And conveniently, you also had a book coming out called The Doodle Revolution mm-hmm. uh, or The Info Doodle Revolution. And uh, luckily, I got my hands on a copy of it. And mm-hmm. uh, I became yeah, more, lucky and more, you. more more and more intrigued <laughs> by how you ended up uh, making a career out of something so random. So tell us uh, a bit <laughs> about yourself, your story, your background, and how that has led you to doing the work that you're doing today. Uh, so this is the 25-minute question because yeah. <laughs> uh, – well, I'll try to keep it interesting. Um, I don't know what the backgrounds of most of your guests are. I'm sure there's a diverse set of backgrounds. Um, but my background began in a – like on a dirt road in East Texas in, a, um, in really suboptimal circumstances. And so the, the, the weird blessing of coming from a place that's sort of uh, resource-deprived in a variety of ways is, of course, that you become wildly creative uh, and or you succumb to the deprivation and you just get married when you're 12 and it's just terrible. So that's like the the the, the fires that forged who I am were uh, challenging, you know, and I think that's important to note because uh, I don't take complete credit for the work that I have done because I know that it was based on a lot of conditions that I was exposed to early on. Um, and so take, take like, so take a kid like in, and you know, like many American kids actually, and many kids around the world in a circumstance that's not optimal and, but they're bright and they are curious and they read like a maniac and they, uh, are very, uh, capable of navigating, um, conversations with other people. So you get like, it's, it's sort of like a ladder out. Right. So I kind of was, I built my own ladder, um, from certain circumstances, but the, 
the way that I ended up in this weird space, which is about like being an expert doodler or professional doodler, uh, was really about following my nose. Like I was very open and curious and I always cast my net out. I tell people a lot, like if you don't know what you're good at or you don't know what you're passionate about, then cast, keep casting your net, uh, because eventually something, something will come up that makes perfect sense to you, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's like the metaphorical, like abbreviated version. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get into the much more in-depth version, obviously. Cool. A lot of things. I mean, the first question uh, that comes from me is this whole, you know, it's around this idea of building your own ladder out. And I've asked a lot of people uh, this question uh, about sort of this thing that we we have in childhood. Uh, I don't know whether you call it curiosity or or childlike wonder or imagination (laughs) or whatever it is. And somehow I feel that by the time we've become adults, we lose that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that capacity to build our own ladder out of the hell we've created or the hell we're trying to uh-huh. escape. And I'm uh-huh. really curious how you get back in touch with it or, or what your thoughts are around that. Ooh, that's a really interesting question. There was something you said on your website actually about um, – it was about the box of crayons or something. It was uh-huh. like a, a – qu- I, I can't quote you because you're here and I, that's just intimidating. <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't want to get your quote wrong. Uh, but it was t- something to the effect of – uh, you know, my box of crayons shrunk to one. Oh, oh no, it was coloring inside the lines. Mm-hmm. You were like, first we color inside the lines, and then later we don't color at all, yeah. right? So um, I, I think that that is an interesting uh, conundrum that is faced by adults. And I do touch on a lot of that in the book because the, the book is about reawakening that potential, that, that native, what I believe is native capacity for humans. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a, that's a very, like I have, a, I don't know, about eight different tracks I could take in response to that question. That's why I'm like rambling. But I think that the, I did get trained in creative problem solving. So like when you're faced with a a variety of problems, uh, you know, you only have a few options, flee, fight, or freeze, you know, generally speaking. Um, and so mine was fight. Mine was like, and I didn't mean fight, like, you know, punch people. I meant fight, like figure it out, solve a problem, build something, you know, make a bridge, connect with other people. It was very MacGyver, very much a MacGyver, um, response to the circumstances. So I think when you're trained early on to be like MacGyver, then you get a lot of faith and confidence in your ability to do that which then can later translate into adult work. Uh, But that said, if you were an adult who did cultivate MacGyver-type skills, meaning creative problem-solving, and you find yourself in an environment that does not nourish that part of you, then I don't think that it kills it. I think it kind of moves it into a stagnant sort of dormant space. And uh, that can be very sad. Like from my point of view, that's a very sad space. But it's also... uh, it's also a, ho- a hopeful place because it's not like I don't think that like the a- I don't think you pour acid acid on it and it died. I think it just needs to be loved again and like given an opportunity to flourish. Um, but the caveat is that if you didn't ever develop those creative problem solving skills, then I think probably later in adulthood it is very challenging to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that, and I, I love that you know a lot of it is is environmental. I mean, I, I the the one thing that I think I, I can look back at my career and say my talents were mismatched with my environment fairly uh-huh. consistently. From Interesting. Every single job I've had, I'm just like, this makes no sense. Looking back, it's not very <laughs> clear now. You know, it, it's much clearer now, but it wasn't obvious to me then. 
Wait, so you mean that your talents were like not suited to the places in which you found yourself? Oh, not at all. Oh, okay. Any stretch yeah. of the imagination. And I think I that's... love that you've been fired a lot, right? From pretty much every single job. I've okay, been so Srini, we have that in common. <laughs> I've right. been fired like eleven times. <laughs> okay, so this is you know now I want to get into the into the better part of your story itself. I mean, I, I want to talk about your childhood and growing up, and you you know you mentioned this sort of MacGyver like childhood, but I want to get into a lot more depth. Okay. Um, I mean, talk to me about. You know, what kind of a life did you have that kind of led to, okay, I mean, you talked about being very resource deprived, but to get from there right. to InfoDoodle is <laughs> quite, you know, regardless of whatever your path is, the path has to be fairly interesting because I like to say that you probably took the scenic route through life to get oh, to where you're at. Completely. So yeah, let's talk like- about the places that you stopped along the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I might refer to my life as like punctuated equilibriums. Like I would like, um, sort of meander and, you know, get fired and then be like, Oh shit, I got to do something else, you know, or I would quit. I mean, a lot of times I quit cause I was like, this is deeply unsatisfying, but, um, I certainly have, yeah, I have like meanders coupled with like totally landing in the right place, you know, mm-hmm. but, but the, the reason those meanders are important, right. Is because it's very akin to that casting your net out metaphor, which is when you meander, then you can find multiple doorways. And so that's what I would do. I would meander and then I'd be like doorway, like that one looks appealing, go through that door, meander again, doorway. So it was very much when I now looking back, when I, I studied the creative process, it actually was like, I flawlessly executed on the creative process, (laughs) having no, having no idea that that's what it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could tell you some of the stops, which involved like being a new delivering newspapers mm-hmm. on my bicycle. And I was terrible at that because you have to wake up at three in the morning. So a lot of people didn't get their newspapers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I worked also at a donut shop. This is in high school. I was I started working when I was uh, 14 years old. Uh-huh. Because I was like, um, I need some money. Um, <laughs> like nobody has any money around here, so I'm going to make some money. Um, and also, it just seemed like a good, like I wanted to get skills, you know, in apparently donut making as soon as possible. So, uh, so I worked at a donut shop, and I worked at a variety of restaurants, uh, many of which I got fired from. And I worked at a, like. You know, if you fast forward, I mean, I've probably had 40 jobs and I'm not even in the generation of kids that, you know, like by now, if you're 25, you'll have like 19 jobs. Before, you know, like, <laughs> like I was doing that prior to uh, before now. it was cool. Yeah, before <laughs> I got fired before it was cool. Yeah, uh, no, but um but yeah, there, there were like, I'm, I'm having, I'm remembering them. Like I worked at a teacher's union one time. I worked at, 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 at the California state bar evaluating the moral integrity of attorneys. <laughs> no, like, I mean, there are not many things I have not tried, honestly, other than like fire dancing and, you know, stuff like that. Oh, there's Which still I, time. Yeah, I know. I lament that I haven't done performance art because I think that would be really fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But, but, uh, on one of those doorways, like and eventually, when I open door meander, open door meander. Eventually, one of those doors was uh, not only like really good for me; it was actually sort of the door to something I could commit to for a very long time, mm-hmm. which was awesome to find, and, and which happened to be doodling. But <laughs> but I have do- doodling applied in a variety of different <clears throat> kind of surprising settings. So it's not just like, oh, guess what? I learned how to make scribbles. It was more about applied visual thinking and that uh, I can get behind and really care about. So that was the door that I found. Thank God. Mm-hmm. 
So a couple of questions uh, around that. I mean, I, I love this because it's hilarious, but there's <laughs> there's other things. You know, one of the things that always intrigues me is just how much all these experiences of our lives actually influence where we've ended up today. You know, I mean, I, I worked yeah. at McDonald's when I was in high school mm-hmm. and you, know, you were in Bryan, Texas. Well, not in Bryan, Texas. Actually, this was when we were we had already moved to California. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but you know, it, it's funny because I look back at that job and it gave me uh, a deep appreciation for what people behind food counters do because that's oh, a, totally. that's a tough job. Like, it, yes. you, you go in there and you're impatient and you think, okay, these people are idiots. Anybody can do this job. You're right. And it's not so much the case. I mean, I found out I'm like, hey, I'm a straight A student in high school and I suck at my job at McDonald's. <laughs> How is that like, possible? I am not competent enough to work at Taco Bell. No, I mean, it really, it was, it was an eye open. I mean, but there was a sense of humility and an appreciation yes. for people in service that came from that. So I guess yes. the question for me is, you know, how have all these random jobs influenced and shaped uh, who you are and how you see the world today? Well, I think that they, uh, you know, to your point, I think that I do have respect uh, and, uh, you know, like my, my stepdad worked at the same job for like 35 or 40 years and retired from that place. And, you know, he was lucky enough to have it align with something that he cared about, which was forests and trees and so forth. But, um, most people in the generations before us that like to have the luxury of following your passion was not a particularly, uh, salient, you know, option. And so it's really fascinating to look at how we have that expectation now, especially now, like now it's like hyper, like hyper bliss following Mm -hmm. where, you know, like 10 years ago, you know, I don't, I was not born thinking like, okay, I think I can become anything that I wildly want to be. It was more like, okay, so I can go to college, which is, was awesome. And then probably I can work like at a company. I mean, I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur by any stretch of the imagination at all. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know. And, and, you know, I didn't know the the conditions and the environment that we now live in would be so amenable to that kind of behavior. So um, the jobs that I had basically taught me what I hated. You know, I'd be (laughs) you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, like I cannot live inside of a cubicle like I cannot survive there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, parts of, could I go to work and show up and punch in the clock? Of course I can, you know, but like my, there was a part of me that would wither and die if I were to do that. And so that was helpful to know because I didn't necessarily instinctively know that, but, but I learned by immersing myself in environments as do most people. But, uh, so I thought it was really important for me to go through a variety of terrible jobs. They weren't terrible for everybody, but they were terrible for me, um, because that helped me understand where I thrive and where I don't thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's useful information. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. It's interesting. I love that you called it sort of the hyper bliss following. And I, I want to talk about that in a bit mm-hmm. more depth because, you know, I think on the one hand, it's really, really cool that I get to spend a Monday afternoon talking to somebody like you and call it a job. On the <laughs> other, I think it puts a lot of pressure on people who aren't necessarily yes. in a realistic position to be able to do something like Absolutely. that. And it makes yes. them, it makes them feel inadequate. Inadequate. That's right. And an, uh, you know, and the funny thing, as I said, you know, I think for a while, you know, the, the mission and message of the things I've done perpetuated that, but there's reality, you know, I mean, I, I remember even in my closing talk at our event, I said, 
here's what you guys have to realize is that when you go back, uh, you're going to face real life, which means, you know, bills to pay, kids to feed and houses to clean. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really curious to hear, you know, as somebody who is sitting outside of that, uh, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this sense of us, you know, making people feel inadequate with this sort of hyper bliss following uh, everybody should live the four hour work week uh, right. culture that we've actually perpetuated via the Internet? Yes. Yeah, exactly. See, I, that's that that's a, a really important question because I think what people have lost including me um at certain times in this journey is perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's very easy to get seduced by uh the the idea of the 4-hour work week which incidentally it has nothing to do with working four hours. Like, it, it, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like what? Uh good marketing plan on that one. <laughs> but um but I think that the the expectation is, which it's it's seriously, it's it's also very uh, Silicon Valley and American centric. Like if you go to other countries, that that is not the prevailing view of the day. Like, oh, what what is your your highest artistic aspiration? Like, put that on the internet and make your life come true. It's like that is not even. I mean, it's sort of it's a little bit um, Western. It's a little embarrassing when you go to other places and talk to normal people. So like, just so, so, you know what I mean? So there's a perspective, like, I don't know, 85% of the world is not doing that or thinking like that or feeling inadequate because they're not doing that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That is like, just the question alone is interesting because of the, the context from which you and I are, are in. Um, but also I think that there's some, some, uh, gratitude that would probably be helpful. Meaning that if you, like my brother has a job, he can't stand his job. Mm. I really hope they don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) He doesn't, it's not a satisfying job for him. He has a creative, very deeply creative part of him. He has been an entrepreneur in his past life and he, um, goes every day. He has two kids, you know, they're, um, five and seven. And, uh, there are choices that he, there are sacrifices that he makes and choices that he makes, uh, because of the, the reality that he lives in, you know? And so I don't run around and call my brother up and be like, yo, entrepreneur magazines interviewing me today. Like, I don't, you know, it's not like I'm hiding stuff, but it's just like, I have a lot of respect for what he does as well. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that there's, um, there's some, you can simultaneously be thrilled and appreciative of the opportunities that the internet affords us and that a global economy affords us while recognizing, um, the, um, the, uh, sort of solidity and stability that people provide who aren't, uh, taking a, a shitload of risks and, and, and pursuing their, you know, Ken Robinson intersections mm-hmm. of, of joy and bliss, you know, like there, there's room for all of those points of view. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It's funny you brought up 85% of the world, and I, I'll actually add to that. I think it's actually a lot more of this country. I'm than sure we, it is. Like when Greg Hartle, uh, my business partner, said he traveled around the country, he said, dude, he's like, there are places in this country where you don't get internet access. Internet at all. Yeah. I know. And it's I like know. in the United States. And he said that, you know, the, the people that, you know, we deal with on a daily basis, they're not representative of the majority of the population. Uh, and I doubt yeah. even the people who listen to this show right. are even close to that. 
Yeah. See, and that's the thing is like, I feel like it's very sexy. It's kind of like saying, it's like, it's like the way normal people probably feel about celebrities. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, Oh, that looks so incredible. I wish I could have that lifestyle and God, the, the freedom and all that stuff. But there's not a lot of conversation about the downsides of entrepreneurism or the challenges of, um, trying to stay on the cutting edge of, of, uh, technology and, um, you know, the, the sort of in like your, how, how your identity can change when you take on a public persona. I mean, there's a lot of shadow sides to it that don't really, aren't really talked about. And I mean, it's like, if I'm in an interview about entrepreneurism and I bring it up, it's not people's favorite thing that I bring up. Like they want, they want the conversation to be about sexy, fun, 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 you know? (laughs) And I'm like, well, I wanted to talk about the reality, which includes that and also has some serious challenges. Hello. You know? Well, on that note, you know what I'm going to ask you next then, don't you? Let's talk about the shadow side. Um, (laughs) Let's go there. I mean, honestly, let's paint the picture of the darker side of this because uh, you're right. It's not one we talk about nearly enough. Well, and I think it's helpful for people because, like, remember how you were saying, like, there is a feeling of inadequacy on the part of people who maybe have not dropped all all their cushy jobs and pursued their dreams? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that they need to hear that I, I don't even know in all honesty if I would recommend entrepreneurism to certain types of people because it takes a certain personality and a certain sort of constitution. Uh, and I, I and, and like there's a lot to be said for not being responsible for your own paycheck and for having a place to go and like for having boundaries around when you work. So you go home at five and, you know, my, I mean, when my brother leaves work, he doesn't, he's not sitting around thinking about work. You know, he's like, he's completely with his children and his wife and in the family and in the moment. And there's a lot to be said for that, you know? So I think it's, it's good. It's worth exploring so that the large majority who are not doing that can feel better about themselves. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that you, you bring up a good point. Uh, I, I, you know, I was having drinks with a friend recently. He said, you know what? He said, my job is completely unfulfilling. He said, Mm -hmm. I'm not passionate about it, but you know what? He said, I'm actually okay with the fact that I'm collecting a paycheck. And I said, dude, I'm like, honestly, I envy your life sometimes because I mean, you live by the beach in Venice, you get paid six figures and life is actually not that bad. Oh Uh, my God. I can't believe he was like concerned. That's amazing that he was like feeling like he should be doing something more awesome. It's like, what? He's already on the outer margin of six figure in Venice. (laughs) Like, like, come on guy. What, what, what do you want? You want some rose petals? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and, you know, and he said, he said, and it doesn't, it it probably, he said, you know, I, he's like, I don't think I'd trade places with you. I said, I don't think you should either. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I, and, and, you know, I have the same feeling about being an author, which, Which is, of course, it looks very sparkly from the outside, but um, there are some major sacrifices that at least I had to make. I I, I like to talk to other authors to see what their experience was, but um, that looks very sexy from the outside, and it was extremely challenging from the inside. So I wouldn't uh, recommend that necessarily for everybody either. Mm -hmm. You know. So we're going to get into the content of the book here shortly, but I want to go back to one other thing you said, which I uh, I really this is something that it blows my mind that we don't give enough attention to these kinds of moments. But you said, you know, a lot of it was this sort of meandering and opening doors. And then finally you opened a door and found a path that you could commit to. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'm curious is about is how you recognize when those moments occur, when those uh, paths Mm -hmm. show up in your life. Yeah. Well, I didn't recognize it at the time. 
Um, I had a general sense that there was something valuable there, but honestly, I was living in San Francisco. I was, uh, um, didn't know anybody. So like I didn't have a, a sort of root system or a network system that could help me find work. So I was living there for eight months before I could actually even find a job of any kind. So naturally when I got hired at this company called the Grove, which is a consulting company that used visual thinking, um, I didn't see it. I, I wasn't even thinking along the lines of like, I hope this resonates with my inner child. You know, it was like, oh, thank God I have a job, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, and, and the, when I look back, the serendipity and fortuitousness of that was astounding because I could not believe that I actually found myself in a place that gave me, to a certain extent, a, one of the callings of my life. But I didn't recognize it as that at the time. I just was like, so thrilled that I could contribute and show up. Mm-hmm. And and then eventually when I started uh, being able to sort of let the, the, uh, when I started trusting that I would be there, you know, and no one was going to fire me or like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was a place that like allowed my, my type of personality and my way of operating to be in, accepted kind of into the tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I could start looking at what they were teaching and, that's when the bells started going off because th- what they taught had a lot of uh, touch points with things that I had always cared about but had never seen together in one place. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, I know that's very vague. We can break that down later. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll we'll definitely break it down. Uh, but you know, there's there's one other thing you said in there that that I want to go into is is that moment of okay, recognizing that hey, I'm not going to be fired. I'm actually here to to be able to do this thing, uh, yeah. which it looks like my life's calling is is about to happen. Mm-hmm. That I mean, to me, that seems like a leap of faith almost uh, with the track record that you've had. Because I know that <laughs> you know it's funny, and, and I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm saying no, know. you know personally, like if I went into a situation, I'd be literally thinking. Okay, I've probably got about sixty days. I better, you know, abuse the privileges of working yeah. here while I can. I should get as much free stationery as I can. Uh, Make as many long distance phone calls as possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> making that leap of faith, I'm very curious. You know, what did that look like, and, and what brought it about? And um, I mean, for people who may find themselves in a situation where they're having trouble either maintaining, you know, faith in the p- potential of a calling. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, that maybe they don't have one at all, which yes. is even more disturbing. It is. It is disturbing for people because, like, to your point, people feel like they're supposed to have one. Like, in this day and age, the, the gold standard is, you know, where – what is the I, – I wish I knew the um, – that that book by Ken Robinson that has the flame on it. It's called, like – The Element? Oh, yeah, The Element. Everybody's looking for their element, like their one fundamental core DNA, you know – passion that like wakes them up in the morning, you know? And, and, and when you find that, yeah, that's an incredible thing. That's amazing. Like that's a gift. It's a really a gift from the sort of cosmic ginormous space that we're in. Um, but it's not, I don't think it should be an expectation by any stretch of imagination. Um, and, uh, and, but I think you can increase the odds of that happening to you through a variety of practices, 
that would be good. Um, but, and, and honestly, the calling, when I refer to it as a calling, um, I have, I'm so interested in so many different things that I think I have a couple of different callings. (laughs) Like, can you have more than one? Because I have a lot of things that I feel deeply passionate about. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that may be also hopeful for people in the sense that it's not like – it's kind of like saying there's not one soulmate for people. There's actually a, a host of different people who could be a perfectly suitable partner um, if you give yourself the chance to intersect with enough of them. You know. Yeah. So if you're at a job that is not – showing you something you're passionate about, there's other jobs that will. It's not like it's the end of the road. It just means you might need to make a lateral move or a vertical move, you know. So speaking of which, I think that makes a, a perfect setup to ask you. You know, you mentioned uh, a variety of practices that would increase your odds. Let's talk about what those might be for people. Oh, increase your odds to find something, that, your element, to find yeah. your element? Yeah. Uh, so in my experience, a closed-mindedness is not going to be helpful. So if you, you know, it's just not, it's not good for, I understand it because learning is, makes your world more complicated, but it's not really going to be a good, a good trait to keep, uh, particularly in, in today's world where you can have access to any kind of information imaginable if you, assuming you have access to the internet. Um, so open-mindedness is a big deal. Um, and by that also, I mean, uh, a sort of a receptivity to diversity, you know, mm-hmm. like that was a, that in retrospect, that, that characteristic that I had turned out to be very valuable in terms of me finding my path. Um, also other people are resources. So I am an introvert and people do not believe this, but it is unequivocally true. I am completely and totally an introvert. I get a lot of energy from solitude, and it is the place where I go to restore everything that I need to restore. Um, but other people are essential to finding uh, something that resonates for your life. Like, like if, if you imagine the world is like an interconnected web of incredible energy. If you stay at one little intersection, like one little node in the network, you, you, you don't even have access to possibilities because you're not connecting to that vast network of people that do. So, you know, even if your instinct is to shy away from other people or to, um, avoid them altogether, Mm -hmm. that's probably not going to be, that's probably not going to serve you in terms of finding, finding something you're passionate about, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, think of other people as resources and then also risk taking, like, I understand that it's not, um, it's not easy to take risks because there's a host of reasons why taking risks is a terrible idea. Uh, but you can't really find something that lights you up without taking some risks. I mean, you, you know, if you're one of the few lucky people who happens to be maybe born into a family of actors, so you're like, you know what I mean? So you're like, great. Like I want, that's my passion. And luckily my parents are actors, then God bless you, you know? But if you, you know, your dad's an accountant and your mom's a teacher and your dream is to be an actor, then you're going to have to take some risks. I mean, that's just part of the deal. So there's a little, there's a level of comfort that needs to be cultivated with respect to risk taking. That's probably going to help you also. 
Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd completely agree with that. I mean, I think that that's probably one of those fundamental things that mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's weird. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. I said uh, the thing that people, I think, fear often is when they start, they might not be that good. And I'm kind of like, it's not a might. It's pretty much a guarantee that you won't be that good. <laughs> and if you, you thought you would be, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is that, I, you know, this is the question. The, the reason I brought this up is it's a question that always comes up for me, uh, you know, with me from a lot of people is how do you start? Yeah. And, and I think what they're really asking is how do I guarantee that it's not going to suck? Uh, because what what it is is fear that that's keeping them from starting. I said, and that's why I've never understood this inability to start. And I realized, I said, you know what? The difference between you is, is that, and people who did start is people who did start knew it was going to suck, but they started anyways and they just worked on making it better. Well, right. And, and, and also, I mean, my, my heart kind of goes out to people that, um, don't, that are non-starters because they're afraid. Cause that's a real, that's a real tough position to be in. And I think it, um, it sort of relates to, uh, confidence and a feeling of, um, self-worth on some level. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, if you, if you feel like if you have never been rewarded in your life for taking a risk when you, you know, in your young developmental life for taking a risk, then you're probably not going to. And, or if, um, there was no one to sort of encourage you, meaning that if you fall off your bicycle, there's a person there to to dust you off and say, you know, like nice work, try it again. Then that's also an experience that some people don't have. And, that can that can be a, a a a sizable obstacle to taking a risk because there's no there's no uh there for some people there's no light at the end of the tunnel you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and then there's also of course perfectionists who who have this idea that the first thing you make is going to be great and i'm chuckling cuz i i completely understand that point of view cuz i'm right now seeking to to start a different venture and uh and I'm having to remember beginner's mind, like that place where you're like, I know nothing. I need to know nothing. I just need to take a step. And, um, it's, it's, uh, it's not a comfortable place to be for some people. It's fun. Like maybe for you, that's really fun. Cause you're like, what's going to happen? You know, like, oh, it's the discovery, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I, for, it's understandable to me that a lot of people are, um, are non-starters because it's, it's, uh, it, people think it reflects on them personally if the first thing they make is not awesome. Yeah. And if you can separate that from who you are, like what you create is not an indicator of who you are, then that is a helpful sort of psychological divide. But it's not an easy one for some people. Well, I think that makes a perfect setup to talk about my uh, absolute aversion to trying to do these info doodles. <laughs> oh, no, you don't have uh, I don't. You read the whole book and you still have one? No. So so I'll tell you. Let, let's actually – what I want to do is get into the process of this and then I'll, I'll talk to you about some of my own challenges with it because I think cool. it would make for a useful case study. Right. But let, let's talk about – the, the info doodling process and, and kind of what it is and, and everything, because, you know, I know you gave this amazing Ted talk about it, which I, I got to see. And that's kind of how I found you. But, uh, you know, for our listeners who are not really familiar uh, with this entire concept, you know, bring bring us up to speed. Oh, sure. Um, doodling, I refer to doodling is a universal behavior. It's throughout, as far as we can tell, it's throughout time and across cultures and, uh, spans age groups and economic status and everything. It's amazing. It's one of the, one of the few, you know, true, truly universal, uh, acts of expression. Um, so I coined this term info doodling. Uh, oh, let me first define doodling. I, I did it in the Ted talk too. the definition, which is to make spontaneous marks with your mind and body in order to help yourself think, right? 
to like support your thinking process, that appears to be why people doodle. Um, so then I coined a term called info doodling, which is a more sophisticated level of doodling that involves uh, integrating shapes and pictures and words into visual displays so that you can understand the world around you, that you can understand systems that you're in and processes that you go through. And like, you can create maps of what I call the knowledge universe. And it allows you to reflect things back to you so that you have a better grasp of them. I mean, it's a hugely powerful tool that's sort of underestimated because it has the word doodle in it, but that's totally part of the part of the package. So it doesn't matter. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So I love that. Uh, Absolutely genius explanation. Uh, What I'm really curious about is is sort of the how how to of it, you know, which uh, I want to spend a little bit of time on because I think, you know, part of the reason I selfishly wanted to interview you because I wanted to overcome my challenges with I want you to Uh, because I I thought I was like, if I learned how to do this, God, you know, it would be so So useful. useful. Yes. And if I learned how to do it well. uh, So let's let's just for for the sake of context um the mm-hmm. thing that i've been trying to do is going back and listening to my interviews and creating yeah. my info doodles for them but where i run into challenges is organizing information in a way that is actually useful to me and also i mean i'm so slow uh-huh. it, it takes forever <laughs> and you know i'm like okay i have to okay. go back it, it's just it's such a struggle for me and uh-huh. i'd imagine that's what most people, and, and you know, I love that you made a very clear distinction about the fact that this is not about artistic talent, um, yes. which I think is great. But talk me through the process of getting somebody to actually use this. Of getting a person who's completely new to it? Yeah, to, I mean, or even, oh. even me who's running into all these challenges with it. Yeah, I mean, first first thing I suggest is, and I'm going to take a certain form of info doodling, which is um, – off air, meaning that you're not tagging it to something happening in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not like in a meeting and you're trying to write down and draw everything your boss is saying or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but first thing is to, to have a subject matter or a topic that you need to see, right? That it has enough for, this is for an exercise for you personally, Mm -hmm. but that it has enough complexity that holding it in your mind's eye is too challenging because it's too rich so it but it would be useful to try to articulate it onto a page so that you can start to understand it. So like we need to think of a subject area. It could be like how to become an entrepreneur or like how to develop a business model. Like it could be something related to that if you care about that, but um sure. it could also be like, you know, somebody help me understand the global arms race. I mean, it could be anything. Like it's just any you have but you have to care about it enough to to want to see it. Mhm. Mhm. So where do we take it from there? So let's say we have a subject matter to work with. I mean, now I'm realizing when you said it it needs to be something you need to see, I'm realizing maybe the mistake I've been making is literally trying to take our entire interview and strip out every bit of information I wanted into some sort of visual. Yeah. Well, so I know I can, I can totally teach you how to do that. Um, which is, and it's not actually complicated. There's a section in the book called, um, the art of subtraction Mm -hmm. And that will, for for the interviews, if you were to go back and sort of scan them for relevant points, that's what I would teach you how to do is to how to subtract all the extraneous, you know, excess mm-hmm. and just flag the meat and then display it. And maybe where you're getting stuck is, I because th- I think I heard this in your question, you might be getting stuck in, in having an expectation that your first, that your 1.0 version of it is going to have any coherent structure. Yeah, actually, you're right. 
Yeah. So that don't ever, don't even expect it. Remember we were talking earlier about like failing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let that go. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. Um, the first 1.0 version of it, all you have to do, like imagine that, that the, you know, whatever the subject you're thinking of, imagine that each little bit of information is like a dot. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then you're like, oh, here's 10 in this in this like field of 100 dots. There is 11 of them that are the most like um, powerful or most significant. So all I want you to do is take those dots and like throw them down on the table in front of you. Mm-hmm. That's 1.0 where you're like, oh, this all these other dots, they're interesting, but they're not really where I want to focus my attention or they're not really uh, related to the problem that I'm trying to solve like right now. So I'm just going to move those dots out of the way and I'm going to pull out the, these dots and I'm going to put them on my page. That is your first thing to do because a structure like having, cause you know, designing an infographic is ultimately a, that takes training. It's like, it's kind of like saying, um, I want to be an improv expert. Like I want to be on Saturday night live. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, I'm just going to take a, a week of improv at second city and I'm going to go audition for Saturday night live. You know, it's like you got to just have patience with your process. So the first process is just getting the dots on the page mm-hmm. and not even caring how they relate to each other, what they look, nothing. Just pull them out. Mm-hmm. And then you draw like – and this is the, the beautiful part about this work. And, and it's it's one that is invisible to outsiders. So they don't recognize it, but it's the most powerful piece, which is the process of – crafting it. So like once you have your dots, you start moving them around. And th- this is metaphors for like drawing, right? Mm-hmm. Or ha- or using index cards to like rearrange information or sticky notes to rearrange information. But the very conversation that you have with yourself when you are rearranging the dots is the very thing that will make that information meaningful to you because you start that's the reflective process, that's the investigation, that's the discovery. And that's why it doesn't matter if it's pretty because mm-hmm. it pretty has nothing to do with the substance of the topic, you know, and eventually you can make it pretty. I have no doubt that you can, or you can give it to someone who can, you know, it doesn't matter. Like that part, I'm always like, meh, you know, <laughs> like next, because mm-hmm. all I care about is what happens when one, two, 10, 20 people actually start mapping visual information together. And that, that incredible conversation that emerges from that is priceless, totally priceless. Perfect. In fact, that was going to be my next question is kind of, you know, I think the, the, given that so many people listening to this are, are creative people, I mean, what kinds of things does a process like this start to reveal to us that becomes useful oh, and applicable in our work? Because that's, that's what really intrigued me. I thought, okay, what are yeah. the insights that I'm probably missing out on by just hearing our interviews versus being able to do this with them? Oh, my God. It's massive, massive, massive. Um, because the, here's the crazy thing about, like, humans is that we um, we have this remarkable brain that tells stories. And so – we navigate through the world um, based on these stories that we have in our minds um, that sort of drive behavior. But the crazy thing is we don't actually always know that we have the story. Like the story is transparent to us mm-hmm. a lot of times. And by story, it's also a belief system and assumptions that we make and so forth. That's all invisible. It's all operating under the surface, totally driving. It's like the rider and the elephant. You know, you, do you know this metaphor? Mm-mm. 
Well, it's just a great metaphor, but it's just a, it's a metaphor about the brain so that the rider is the guy on top of the elephant who's like, I know everything I need to know. I have language and I can express myself. And the elephant is the brain itself. That's where all the action is happening, but it's nonverbal. It's subconscious. It's like uh, invisible. But it's the thing. It's like the very mechanism that is the driving behavior. So one of the crazy things about doing visual work is that it starts to show you the elephant. And then you're like, holy shit, there's an elephant. Oh, in the room. It's like such a – that's funny. There's an elephant in the room, you know? And like I didn't even see it. And look, it has a fucking trunk and a tail and it's big as shit. And I can't believe this. This is amazing. It's like that. And it's like you would not believe when you start mapping stuff, then you inevitably start going, oh, my God, I drew this here. But really behind that is this other thing. And like there, right next to it is this other thing. Oh, my God. And it has a relationship with this thing. So you, it's, it's really phenomenal what happens when you pull information out, plot it in front of your face, even in the most rudimentary way. It does not like you can draw stick figures like, you know, smiley faces, totally irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the brain starts to ask questions about what it's seeing. Because the brain wants to understand what it sees in front of it. Like if you see a man walking down the street, a headless man walking down the street, your brain is not going to let that go. It's going to be like, how is that possible? What is – was that a mirror trick? Like your brain's going to try to solve it, you know? And it's the same thing when you put visual information in front of you. Your brain starts asking questions that it wouldn't ask otherwise. Hmm. I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Okay. That's why I- – get all jazzed about it i i love that explanation it's absolutely brilliant uh so much good stuff there so you know i i want to start closing things up here because i know we're getting to to about an hour and um i want to ask you a, a bit more about sort of your story and and you know all the things that this has led to for you personally, like sort of the, the tipping points in your life. I mean, obviously, there's the book, uh, which we'll link up in the show notes for those of you guys listening. But what else? I mean, what else has gone on as a byproduct of this in your life? Well, I've, I mean, I've had, like, you mean good things? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, good and uh, bad, if you want to talk about the bad stuff. No, too. it's fine. No, I'm not, like, f- obsessed with the bad. But uh, the good things are that uh, I've had, like you said earlier, you know, you didn't expect your book to result in a host of different creative opportunities for you. Um, that is a wonderful thing. I mean, you know, everywhere I go in the world, if I travel to another country, there is a community of people that w- are welcoming. And they're like, hey, we have we want to meet you. And I'm like, you do? Like why? Um, so that so connecting me with others has been a wonderful byproduct of it. And then um, I, there's been a ton of articles and you know like a lot of uh, attention on it. In fact, I, oh, Entrepreneur Magazine is doing a feature. <laughs> it's so cool. I'm really excited about this only because of the section that it's in. They put me in the section called Business Unusual, uh-huh. um, which is one of the most apt descriptors of what I do ever. So I'm really happy about that. So there's like, there's that piece of it that is like, oh, you know, oh, my status points go up and my wealth points go up and my, uh, you know, power points go up, you know, like stuff that I think people get real excited about. I don't get excited about that stuff anymore because I realized that it was, um, not, it was like a straw man, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, um, Maybe had you asked me two years ago, was I excited about that? I would have said yes, but I, I don't say that now because I I understand the limitations that that um, can provide. So the good, but but the good thing about writing the book, of course, is that I've connected with readers 
and people send me, I mean, the book has changed people's lives, which is, uh, the one reason that I work so hard to make it because it actually allows people to do things that I didn't see possible, you know, and that they didn't see possible. And I get affirmation of that stuff all the time, you know, and that's, um, that's slowly becoming, uh, a beautiful thing to witness that's still unfolding as we speak, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I really appreciate that uh, you brought up sort of the external accolades and and the mm-hmm. meaning that they bring. Kind of uh, the meaning that they bring sort of starts to diminish after a certain point Completely. because, yes. uh, you know, John Lee Dumas likes to ask people about their "I've made it" moment, and yeah. uh, I told him, it's I said, a I weird question. I said, you know what? I he when he asked me, I said, and I've told, I've shared this before on the air. I said, you know what? I don't think there is one. I yeah. think it's made up. It's a it's a made it up is. it's a made up idea by people who think they haven't made it. Well, that's exactly right. And it looks that way from the from the outside. Like think about when Halle Berry won her Oscar. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like she was she was shaking, she was obviously overcome with emotion and she was uh I mean it w- was one of the most memorable Oscar moments ever, right? So so from any point of view, you could say, "Oh my god, that was her I made it moment." The first I don't know if she's the first black woman but black woman to, you know, I think she might've been wins an Oscar moment of, of greatness, pinnacle of, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, that shit does not end there like that. Her life is a continuum like that. And, you know, and after that period, after that moment, there's all sorts of like weird psychological landmines that occur. And there's all sorts of strange things that happen in your social life. I mean, it's like, there is no, like, um, it's not like the gates of heaven are now open for her forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she is still a human. She still has to go home. And now she has to deal with the uh, with the fact that everything after all the work after is not going to be comparable. To, like, <laughs> like there's a whole host of things that uh, are troublesome related to those moments. And also, I think for a creative, if you are genuinely, truly a creative, I don't think that you're ever done. I think that you are constantly evolving. Your work is constantly changing. And and for me, I actually never even give myself credit for stuff. You know, like after I did my TED Talk, it wasn't like I was like, oh, that was my moment. You know, it was more like, okay, now what do I do now? Because I have work to do. I mean, it was it, it, I hardly even noticed that that happened in the sense of me feeling like like I completed something. Mm-hmm. Not even close. No. Yeah, I think you you brought up a, a great point in that you know you always have work to do. Uh, I don't I don't think there's a day where you wake up and you're done. It just Mm-mm. doesn't happen. No, I mean w- w- I don't even know what that would be like. It'd it be would strange. be very boring. You'd be like, oh, I'm dead now. Yeah. <laughs> I died. So, well, Sonny, I want to ask you, uh, you know, in closing, something that I've asked a lot of people. Our, our show is called the Unmistakable Creative, and uh, you know, we live in. Uh, uh, probably what is one of the most ruthless environments for getting attention yeah. uh, that has ever existed. So, you know, what is it uh, in your mind that makes something or someone unmistakable? Hmm. What I look for in other creatives um, is longevity. Um, I admire people who have a lifetime of creative capacity and execution and, and maintain a level of humility 
and perspective throughout that process. That's like, I admire that the most, like it's actually pretty rare. So if I were to find that in the world and when I do find that in the world, for me, it's unmistakable because it's uh, like a diamond in the rough. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love that you brought up longevity. I think it's, uh, it's actually a very fitting end to our conversation because in the world we live in today, it's really easy to start. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not, not so easy to stick with it. That's right. Maintenance and sustainability is a, a lo- it can be very elusive, particularly after you've been in the game for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I admire it if I find it. Well, uh, this has been really, really awesome, as I expected it would be. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners uh, here at the yeah, Unmistakable Creative. My pleasure. Your questions are awesome. Thanks. And uh, for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. 
Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.